Hi, I'm Steve Leard, and welcome to Cover Meeting, the book cover design podcast where we speak with designers about their work, the industry, and everything else in between. In this episode, we're joined by James Jones, an award-winning art director, designer, and illustrator who freelances for publishers all over the world. James has worked at Orion Publishing Group, Vintage Books, and as art director at both One World Publications and Head of Zeus. His work has been recognized by the American Institute of Graphic Arts, the Type Directors Club, Design Observer, the Academy of British Cover Design, and the World Illustration Awards. James is also the illustrator of several picture books, including The Perfect Fit, One More Try, and The Odd Fish. I've known James for many years now, since he was art directing in London, and he was a great help to me when I first started out freelancing. Since those years, we've both left the capital and settled in the southwest of England, James in Cornwall and myself in Devon, and it's from his home studio in Cornwall that we spoke. just thinking about how you've been living in Cornwall now for a few years is it two three years obviously making the transition from London and outskirts of London so I just wondered like how that had changed your your life I suppose and your your work-life balance and because I'm I'm presuming from the conversations we've had and what I see on social media is actually drastically changed the way that not only you but your family kind of spend your time and live your life yeah drastically because the way i was living and working before whilst not whilst i was working in london but as i became an art director and i was also freelancing and then i started doing more freelancing at home the way i was working then which i didn't know at the time which I do now was unsustainable yeah. the amount of time i was spending sat down in one position and you know enjoying the job but what comes with that is sort of when you're working and you're in that zone and you're not really breathing correctly or looking after yourself or yeah. getting out enough and all these things and then the body has a a lovely way of of giving you little nudges being like just reminding you (laughs) just remind you yeah this isn't this isn't too this is not natural great for us natural and i think that's the word natural for us as a family for the past i'd say three or four years now yeah Uh, we've come around to more and more but it became apparent because where i was working even though i'd built a studio in the bottom of my garden with my father-in-law. Thank you very much, Bob. Um, and I loved that place. Yeah, I was just sat in one position and how it manifested for me was I was getting pain in my jaw. And at the start, you just don't know what's going on. It's just yeah. sort of this and then it just kept worse and worse. And then you sort of, it got to the point where I was considering even like going for surgery and looking into all these TMJ things. But actually when you deep dive... I realized that obviously it was caused due to stress. And even if you don't think you are stressed, you know, when we're working away and we're working to deadlines and even if you've got an idea and you just want to, you know, it's exciting to see it through. Maybe your breathing patterns aren't brilliant whilst you're doing that. And that all matters. So 
You can build, it builds up a lot of tension in your body, I think. Builds up a lot of tension. And when I deep dived, I started getting more into natural movement because I realized being stationary in one position isn't great. So even at the start, I was thinking, oh, I'll have a standing desk. And then it just didn't help because I was basically just still stationary in that one position. Yeah. So what I realized and if we deep dive and finding other people was that to be constantly on the move as we are naturally born into this world, you know, we're not born to, to sit in chairs or to stand up in one place all day. Yeah. It, it, that entered our world and it set me off on a journey of other ways more naturally to live, but also looking at breath work and getting outside more and getting more breaks and, we got a dog who's here, a Springer Spaniel who loves life, but who has only one speed, which is fantastic. And through that meant I was getting out because I was, or I thought I was good at getting out, but I wasn't as good no. as I actually was, as is a lot of these things when you look back. And hopefully having a dog getting out twice a day. And then instantly, not only did the pain of my jaw start going away, but I started to feel better myself. The ideas, sometimes you can have these blockages when you're working on covers and you can put that down to, I guess they call it writer's block. I don't know if you're a writer, but sometimes you can have that, but it is just because of the way you're living. Maybe you're up too late. Maybe you've consumed too much things that your body don't like. Sometimes you're not working efficiently as well. Hmm. I think it's easy, particularly if you're freelancing to work too much and not know when to switch off, when to put the computer down. So having, you know, you live so close to the beach and being able to walk the dogs or go for a swim or a surf, it it forces you away from the from the computer. And then yeah. maybe when you it is time to go back and work, you actually you're actually working smarter and probably more efficiently. Um probably something I need to remind myself of as well is to just step away from the computer a bit more sometimes. I think it's one of the conversations that we need to have wider as a business for example working environments you know I've worked in a few different publishers and there's different environments there but even within that like you say to help people to work smarter and to work it's not even smart it's just a more natural way of, and it helps creativity but if you if you're going into an office and you are all just in a stale environment and uh the walls even the walls maybe if they are all bare or if you're yeah in that environment and, and you know creativity to sort of to eat creativity out of that yeah. is quite tough yeah. um and for me i sort of realized that and that's and along with finding all these other ways and other ways of living we wanted to live more naturally and just have nature as, as more of part of our life and that's why we made the jump to cornwall yeah it's amazing because there's all, for me when I left London and moved down to Devon, there was a, I guess, a fear as well of feeling like you're completely disconnected from the industry because it is so London centric. But then obviously COVID happened, and I, I do think a lot more people have left the city and and gone and lived elsewhere, and that that's a positive for the industry as well. I think, but I guess on top of that, you do kind of worry if you're going to miss all the benefits of living in London as well. But then you do have to remind yourself of all the positives of living in somewhere like Devon and Cornwall, which is, you know, beautiful and got just nature everywhere. And you can get away from from work and everything and being in a, in a quiet 
inspiring place. It's albeit in a completely different inspirational setting to somewhere like London. Mm. And I have to remind myself that the way you you see the world, the way through your eyes and through how you see it, as in how you react to it um, or respond to what's in front of you. And at the beginning, when I started going back to London, I was getting that low-level anxiety, stress mode, seeing, um, for me, what I thought was people running around, everyone on too stressed. But that, that was the way I was seeing it. And I realised that was obviously how I felt about it before I left. But also, like now I go back and I just see the beauty in it. I see the, yeah, it's just we went back the other day and just to be able, there are so many people there, but there's also a lot of my old friends there, which is great. And we get to meet up with, but also the culture and the different exhibitions going on, but also the architecture and just the city itself, the vibration, the buzz. It's how you see it. You can see that in a negative way. You can see that in a positive way. Um, And when I choose to go back, I choose to in that light and it really helps me. And it's also, it reminds me as well, when I first moved there, um, for university, maybe not university as much because I feel like I didn't make the most out of university. But from towards the end of the third year and then from when I first had my job at Orion and as a young person in London at that time to make friends and connections and also for opportunities. I mean, hopefully that is something that spreads out so it isn't as London-centric. And for example, they have... The publishers up north now, which is brilliant, and I'm hope they start doing the equivalent, you know, southwest, <laughs> bring them down here because it makes sense. Because it, 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 I, I do love that, you know, London is such a hub, but it doesn't, it shouldn't just be that. That you shouldn't, no, shouldn't have to have that destination. Creativity is all around, so why can't the industries be all around just as well? Reflect that as well. Yeah, yeah, and it allows for inclusion and to allow other creatives to work in the publishing industry that might not be able to afford living down or renting down in London. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when starting out, I, yeah. I, I realised how lucky and grateful I was to be able to be at university there and then to um, find a job there. What was it like studying in London? You said you felt like you didn't make the, the most of your time at university in a way. What was that due to? I think that was due to me underestimating how much community was a part of my life when I lived in Anglesey, North Wales, where I originally yeah. come from, which it's is an shift. island. Yeah, big shift. But when you lived in Wales, you either went down, really, you stayed in Wales um, or you went down to Cardiff University, which a few of my friends did, or you went... And you did a big jump and you went to London. My sister went to London as well. And when I used to go and visit her, she was at um, UCL, which had a much more campusy vibe and feel to it. And I thought, oh, that, that's sort of it. And then when I was looking during my Art Foundation course, which was easily the most creative and fun, and that would be a course I'm quite tempted to do again in my life. <laughs> it's what everyone I says. Just, so, it, I, it's they told us at many... the time, and I feel very grateful that at the time I realised as well just how incredible it was. And I remember my mum and dad are so supportive, but they 
couldn't understand that I had to do this before I went to university. I think because also I always grew up and I always knew I was going to be, I don't know why, from like a ridiculously young age, knew I'd be some form of graphic designer. I was exactly the same. Yeah. I don't even know. I just don't know how it sort of... No. It came around. It was, it was just always constantly doodling and playing stuff. But I just knew I would be some sort of designer, illustrator. But in, in that world and illustration, and then um, you see, I had to go and do this course first, which I got. But my parents weren't too sure about because it was yeah. like they thought sort of like delaying the year of university. No, it's it's, it's such an invaluable course. Um, yeah, and then from that, I just um, I got through to university, and I was looking at where's the the way I sort of worked was, ah, where's the best place to go for design? And St. Yeah. Martin's and London College of Printing, or as I got there, it changed to London College of Communication were the greatest. And to be honest, <laughs> I got the prospectus from London College of Communication. And it was such, I've still got it. It was such a good perspective. Like design-wise, I was like, I want to go there. Because <laughs> they got me with the prospectus, <laughs> the design of that. I'm not sure who it was, but it was Probably brilliant. Probably designed that. Yeah, exactly. They got me in. And I went there and... I just didn't, I don't know. I think I was struggling a bit at the time, probably looking back a bit mentally, just like I said, just not, or thinking I should be able to deal with living here. But the the campus vibe wasn't really there because you had your halls, but then instead of having these certain areas to go to, you just had London, Yeah. which when you're that age and you're only getting to know these people, I it was, looking back, it was very daunting and we were sort of just... I mean, we're always winging it, but I mean, yeah, I always, that. I always think where, whether or not I should have gone to uni in London. Mm. I think at the time, like you, the things you're describing, exactly the reasons why I didn't. I think I was mm. just scared of being swallowed up by the city, and I just wouldn't be able to cope with it. You know, mm. I, obviously, I grew up in a small town, and to go from that to such a big city just seemed like at the time too much of a step Mm. but you know the courses there are obviously amazing the courses were great and for example i did information design which is i still just don't know why i chose information design (laughs) but also when i first started it yeah it was it was sort of tough to get but then imagine that being quite was it quite restrictive and quite rules-based? Well, and- I, th- I thought at the time it was. And actually in second year, I'm, I transferred to illustration because that's how I thought. But it's funny, I do, I'm do. i lucky enough now to do a lot of talks and I did one at Falmouth University with Nigel Owen and the illustration students there a couple of months ago. And I was telling them about one of the best exercises we were given to do which was from my old tutor because i guess this might be the flip side of london although i think they're everywhere but one of our tutors was hamish muir of 8vo fame who his work's just amazing and if ever you want you know designer wants to get a little book get a little 8vo book of all their work and he brought in the original hacienda posters that they created for the hacienda but they created them all by hand and then he also brought in all the photographs of them moving it all around before it would sort of be used and taken and scanned and then reprinted again. And the best thing, still to this day, one of the best exercises I ever did was we just had to, we were all given the same sentences on an A4 sheet of paper in strips. And then we had to go off to the printers. And then we were all given, um, well, I think we could do it up to us, really. Whatever size we wanted, you could make an A4, an A3 or an A2 or go massive. 
poster we yeah. had to do it all by hand so we wow. would go to the photocopier and we would enlarge and we would like or you know bring down the sizes and and that's all we had to do and then we print them off and then we cut them out and then you physically would lay these strips down on these on your posters and that's how I truly got to grips with typography and composition and space like that taught me how to use space to your advantage as a designer and that was all from two days of doing that and I still remember it to this day and it was just all in black and white and it was brilliant and I thank Hamish so much but that was that was information design so even though I moved from that at the time you're also young you don't really know what you're doing I should have probably stuck it out a bit more but I moved to illustration design because I thought like you I thought I think I thought oh yeah this is too boxing me in too much and then I went to illustration design and while I was always I think I something I found at the time quite frustrating was I always had in my head I don't know if this is how you work I can even if someone initially gives me a brief I've already sort of got like a few final sort of ideas in my head yeah and I can just go straight to those and I could get those done so I would sort of do the finished pieces but without the working out <laughs> and it doesn't normally would, go down very well at uni it didn't go down very well <laughs> at all and weirdly even though I didn't like sketchbooks although now I'm just always sketchbooks because I could see their frustration because they wanted more and and as my wife says, you know, she, my wife, uh, famously, we talk about in our children's book events, got a better RA level grade than me <laughs> because, um, because I just didn't, I didn't show workings out. I didn't go through that process. I didn't tick those boxes. I just went straight to the final thing as quick as I could. Cause I knew if I could get there, I could like fail faster and then yeah. just make that end product the best it could be. Um, and yeah, so I sort of butted heads with the tutors a bit and I came out with a 2-2. And, you know, looking back now, I think we were talking to someone, one of our designer friends the other day, and he was saying how he's going back to do an MA course. And like yeah. I said to you about our foundation, my God, if I go back now, I would just make use of absolutely everything. Every going. resource. Yeah. So if there's anything I can say to... <laughs> Hopefully, you know, this podcast goes far and wide and it speaks to people at the end of their careers, in the middle, but also right at the very start. If you are in those situations and you've got access to screen printers, letter presses, um, photography it. rooms, you know, I loved another foundation thing was I loved going in the dark room. Yeah. I've been thinking about that recently, getting back to more photography. But if you've got access to all that and you're in a creative course, then use it, find out how it works find out the rules and then break them and then use them in your work. Cause I didn't do enough of that, especially in uni. Yeah. Um, but then the flip side of that was, you know, like I said, the universe does work for you through that. I realized towards the second and third year, I needed to have some connections before I got out of uni. I don't know where that came from, but I just, it just dropped into my head one day that if I can make connections now, then it's by the time I come well. out, I've got a bit of ahead of the game and that's what I started doing was trying to get more live briefs. Uh, and, and I entered like every, every live brief that was going in there, I went for and just made connections that way. Yeah. And um, also like with your experience at uni, I mean, you might not have realized it at the time, but like that exposure to information design, but contrasting it with illustration in a way is actually the perfect 
breeding ground for to become a book cover designer yeah um, i didn't i isn't it amazing like yeah and we'll talk a bit later but now i also do children's illustration yeah but it's like every little part of your life is leading up to leading certain up something. things you don't you just can't appreciate it at the time. and you've really i believe you have to flow with it flow don't push you could argue everyone does you have to go through those those sticky times to yeah, really to come out the other end Absolutely. Yeah, and um, yeah, you're right. It, it, it is amazing, like even those foundation things and the the, the colour work we used to do in foundation as well. I really remember that sort of helped me work out colours in my head how they worked. And yeah, and then all that work to be getting a work experience at a publisher in the marketing department, working on some children's posters to promote horrid henry which was like a a children's book and there i was given a task of yeah i think you need to check with lisa this but i was doing she asked me to work on some back covers for harlan coburn books and i went off and did crazy muller brockman angled typography <laughs> and all this and uh, while I thought it looked brilliant, she was like, that's great, but I can't use any of it. But do you want to come back? She appreciated the enthusiasm. I think she realised the enthusiasm and maybe design background. And would you like to come back? And then I sort of went back one day a week, really, then. And, and that was um, the start. That was a start. And to be fair to Lucy, to see that in someone, I guess the drive, but also I think she was very good at bringing in people who thought or saw differently to her as well i think that's a really good thing to have as an I art think, director yeah absolutely you need to 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 get people who can bring different assets but different skills different ways of skill seeing sets things. different ways of thinking because we're all individual everyone's unique no one sees the world you know if we're given if every book yeah if we're given to if we're given the same cover to work on and even if they brief us exactly the same and say, right, do this. Yeah. And it's quite a constrained brief. We will do it differently. Completely it will come out differently because we see the world differently. We've got different experiences. We've got, like I said about that, that exercise using space. It taught me how I can use space efficiently, you know, to, to convey uh, emotions or emphasize words in the hierarchy um, but you would still do that slightly differently. And that is fascinating to me. So you worked in-house at a number of publishers in London in your time, kind of working your way up. What did you enjoy more, being a designer in-house with, with just the responsibility purely of designing, or did you enjoy the experience of art direction where you got to do design, but also kind of collaborate with people and bring other people in on projects? I guess it's it, that's because um, it's a question, isn't it? That's like, is that in hindsight or is it as I was doing it? You know, because then you could say now looking back, there's obviously certain parts of each I enjoyed at the time. Um, I think the initial time when I first started at Orion, that was quite a weird time for me because I always had this. I thought, like I said to you, I would be in one of these graphic design studios like the mothers of the time or Wielden and Kennedy or accept and proceed. I loved, I don't even know if they're going anymore, but they were like for me that, and also non-format stuff. I used to love that too. 
These are all really good uh, old school shout outs for everyone listening. <laughs> um, but yeah, I always had that idea that I would become in a graphic design studio and I had a little taste of it and weirdly I didn't like it that much. Yeah. Um, and then when, but when I started at, with Orion, I, Lucy wanted to make me a junior before I came, became a junior and I was hesitant to sort of go all in because I was just artworking and, you know, I, I couldn't have been tall at the time, but it was great that I was just artworking for the beginning because I just needed to learn how to do that. You become, and how to yeah, know you the rules a, of that because you, that's a big part of book design or anything. You need to know what the rules are so then you can not even break them. The break the rules thing is always a bit harsh, but like how to play with them and how to flow yeah. with them and how to shift them slightly. It's also making that transition from coming out of uni and then turning yourself into a professional designer. So just mm. how physically how to work and handle files. and Yeah, because imagine kind of- in uni if they really just spent like a week and go, right, who want like, also like book design didn't enter my head at no. all. No, I was exactly the same. No, I didn't even think about it. Even, and I think that's quite a common, back. It's a, yeah, but it's a common conversation I have with book designers that book designer, it just wasn't, even though I was getting all these like design books and, I had all the um, Neville Brody books and all those sort of things going. And at the time, I think it was more like magazine because I used to get Creative Review and then get that. Or record covers was like the thing everyone wanted to do a record cover. Um, And then went, you know, the whole Napster thing that sort of (laughs) dialed that down a bit. Um, But yeah, I just sort of, yeah, it was weird how that just didn't enter my head. I was exactly the same. Which is crazy thinking back on it now because you know, I absolutely love what I do. But when I was at university, I was the same as you. I just thought, I don't know why the goal was just to end up in a in a mm. big design agency. Um, yeah, I don't know maybe. why I was so like focused on that. I'm not really sure. I don't know if it just seemed... I mean, I've always loved books and the, the object mm. of, of mm. a book. Mm. And that kind of, is, like you said as well, sprang from album covers and things like that i guess it was the natural progression from one to the other Mm. but i don't know being a book cover designer just seemed like a completely unattainable goal so Mm. whereas working for a design agency seemed much more realistic Mm. maybe but i Um, loved yeah i loved that and i did after i'd sort of made the leap and, and sort of went as a junior then it all got yeah, it was, that's. It's, I think anything like begin like beginner mindset is what I keep coming back to now. Is why I try and do different things and even moving down Cornwall, yeah, joining different things and and doing things that take me right back to being a beginner. There's something about really, kind of that first day at school yeah, feeling. It's such which, a healthy yeah. mindset to grow, and also having children to, you know, they become what they see, and in a sense of you willing to do something that's hard <laughs> hard yeah. and tricky and figure it out and I, yeah I loved it I loved it at the time and it was really exciting and I was lucky enough to be surrounded by different designers but also where I was at Orion we worked on all genres of books so I was working on helping Debbie Holmes out on Ian Rankins and then we were doing Harlan Coburn books and then I was doing like a poetry book or I was working on children's and through doing that I was never really pigeonholed into everything and then 
once you started doing the artwork and more, you got your own briefs. And I still remember getting my own brief. It was for science fiction because they had Galantz there as well. So you got a science fiction book. And yeah, um, yeah it was uh, my own brief for that, which was great. Firstborn, still remember that. <laughs> um, and yeah, just rolling with that. And then giving bigger projects or series design you know do you remember the first time you're given a series design how exciting was that you know like knowing that this you could you could create something that you could then take forward i i I think series design is fascinating as well i love getting series design which i don't think you do get enough of as a freelancer because no i hardly ever do them yeah I, i i get i get a few but a lot of the time, sometimes it's something you've done and then they'll they'll turn a backlist into a series design. But yeah. when you get a series design, oh, it's always a good, that's always a good vibe. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I loved that. And then I, and then it was really interesting for me when I moved from Orion after working on more and more books there. Because I got to work, you know, as a 20-year-old, as a I got to work on the autobiography for Keith Richards, which is just absolutely Mental. insane. Absolutely the- insane. And it's yeah. the type of book you, you know, you'll see in people's shelves time and time again and things yeah, like that. Yeah, and so. people ask you what you do and it's one of those I can it's actually an easy say, one okay, say. do you read books or, get, or, or ask them what they like? And I, I can name a few now and then they go, yeah, that's me. And then they sort of, <laughs> they sort of get what you do. Because sometimes you say you're book designer and they go, oh, okay, you know, do you do like... A lot go to like, oh, do you, you know, they think you design like the insides because I think you have to say book cover designer. <laughs> yeah, I do. To sort of um, quali- quantify it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like doing that for Keith Richards and then meeting him or even the process was I needed him to do some of the the typography on the front is his handwriting, uh, which he had to fax over, which is like amazing, <laughs> you know. I love that he's uh, still faxing. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got into fax because I remember, I think I got into fax and it just looked better. Yeah. And then... Um, a bit of ragged quality. And then I've told this story before. I had a... It's like a £100 edition that we got to do because we got to do special editions. And I did it all black because I was just like, I've got to do it like paint it black, just have yeah. it all black. And then I had that writing in red, like the Rolling Stones red. And then I got an email back from Keith and he used to sign off like stuff with KWF. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear on your podcast. You can, you but, can swear all you like. But he, um, yeah, he just said like, uh, paint it black. Fucking love it, Keith. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I'd be framing that email. Yeah. It was like forwarded on from, um, I think it was Alan Sampson. Um, and yeah, and then we got to meet him and I got to chat to him and he knew of the book. And then I was there, Waterstones Piccadilly, when people were camping out for five days before to come and see him. And it was like one of the only book signings he did. And yeah, but, you know, fascinating to do that. And then I designed like um, The Tiger's Wife, which was a book for WNN, which won the Orange Prize. And that sort of set me on the literary fiction a bit more because that yeah. was, I think certain books for designers at certain points, it's like, ah, that's the real one when I really got what like literary fiction was all about. Not saying that that's how all covers should look, but you think up until that point, maybe you've done a few and then, but now you're like, oh, okay. There's sort of vibes. But then I guess as designers, that's another thing we've got to realize and then sort of maybe blend or use on other genres. So you can make stuff sign out a bit more. But through doing that, I, even that was funny because, you know, you talk about design, but that was one exactly where we had to say, like, you know, they were like, yellow cover, nah. <laughs> and um, that was my first, I remember being like, 
really? And then I went and took it out, mocked it up, because we used to mock it up. And I love that Orion mocked them up for meetings, because I, I think you've got to see it like that. And I think you've got I to have so. it on the table. Well, I, I, wonder if, I wonder if that's happening a lot less now than it ever I know a few design then. departments who show on screens and you know it's just fine but for me I think you've just got to have it as an object because at the end of the day that's what that's a what lot of time be. especially in the bookshops if they're if they're picking covers and art means on what will be sold or in bookshops then for me yeah and I love that I, I always used to love it it used to take ages but doing that process of cutting them out and then we'd like fold this other spine and put it on um it used to take hours, but I remember doing that, taking that and taking, I took it out to the bookshops and put it up and just took photos of it everywhere and showing how this yellow cover would stand out because there was hardly yeah. any yellow covers. And then we took it back and I remember showing the editor and she's like, brilliant. And then she just took it into the and then it got approved. Um, so yeah, but from that and then going to vintage and that was an interesting move going from one publisher to another and seeing the similarities, but also the differences of how things are done. Yeah, I, that's one thing I never did because I, I only ever worked in house at Bloomsbury, so I couldn't. I never had anything to to com, to compare. But it must be it must be fascinating going from one publisher to the other, and not only seeing how they might work differently, but the different type of books, different people, and so fascinating. And like I said, different working environments. But vintage was a far more collaborative environment, and some of the best jobs we did there I loved the most was working on collaborative projects and Suzanne Dean who's an amazing designer was brilliant at bringing us all together and going right for example I think we got there early on and then we were like okay we have now they've bought the rights to the whole 007 series which was massive at the time because it was just after Penguin had done those amazing illustrative the female um, Bond girl covers with the typography in them. And they were brilliant. And I love those. And there were so many good Bond covers. And then we had to, you know, as a, as a design group, come up with something to rival that. It's a good and challenge. Then, yeah. And then the way we worked, we all sort of went away and did our own individual things and then collectively came together and then sort of worked it out. And then, yeah, I remember doing, we, we, we decided on a purely typographic route um, which is brilliant. And then we decided to actually hand cut them out with all the scalpels and then like scan them or photograph them again. And, you know, little things like that, you don't think, but actually it makes a world of difference. Yeah, Cause I really difference. believe you, the best covers you look at and you were either in awe cause you're just like my word, the amount, the skill, but also the time, the talent, Patience. the decision making. I just think, I just think you can, you can see i don't know if that's like i i think subconsciously that comes across to everybody but i think as a designer it really hits you yeah and you're so appreciative of someone's skill and level or it's like for me certain illustrators i just can't even fathom how they can get to that level of creativity and how they do it and that fascinates me and that inspires me And, and, and most often those those details that you're describing uh what Kind of really transcend something from being a good cover to an amazing cover as well. Mm. And again, those details people might not, you know, the average person might not be able to pick up on, like you say. Yeah, they, they I think really those to elevate work. I think those the ones that become like amazing covers have that, and then they have like luck and timing and all yeah. that. That's just like you know, it's like a 
amazing football game or an amazing piece of sport, you've got these incredible athletes, but then something just like... A, a moment will happen. Moments happen that you could just never plan for and it all just comes together and then you remember it for that. And there's not a lot of those, but those are the color, covers that elevate when all those sort of things come together. Come together. I mean, because you've been designing covers for so long, it must be amazing to look back at some of those early covers because, you know, I haven't been doing it as long as you have, but I look back at some of my early covers and it's quite amazing to see the the evolution of your work. Um, mm. And sometimes I look back at covers and I kind of cringe a little, little bit, but mm. in a way that's quite nice because it shows you're developing and mm. growing as a designer. I think like, it'd be worrying if you looked back on everything that you'd done years ago and were still entirely mm. happy with it because it maybe it shows you you're not you're not getting better mm. um, i guess it's um yeah isn't it interesting though because i was thinking about this the other day and it sort of it reminds <laughs> me of different times in my life like i remember i look back at covers now and i can remember i think it's because we're like visual people as well aren't we i can remember like yeah how i was sort of feeling creating that cover or what happened to get it to that and also sometimes i look back and like i have no idea how i did that or how i thought <laughs> how i got to that point with that one and yeah there are the ones you're like oh but there are other ones i'm like wow you know <laughs> i did that 20 yeah but like um but also yeah just 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 fascinating but how the processes have differed as well i think really um as your life has changed and as even technology i guess has changed and And i think that's another thing that's such a privilege about working with cover design is the different genres you get exposed to and because every book and genre are are different you you get challenged to create work which might be out of your comfort zone as well um yeah i think that's such an important challenge i think that's just another life metaphor that you've got to got your comfort zone and i believe i was very lucky given that foundation at orion that i had all the genres but also like you were saying i think if you can move move because that's another layer because you'll get the different genres but also the different publishers and the different yeah. people you sort of have to deal with and i think that's something yeah. i've really looking back i really get a lot out from cover design as opposed to when i worked in design agencies where every project you're working on is different, but the the processes are all all felt quite similar. Whereas... But then, how did you find the transition? Because you worked in design agencies first, yeah, 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 for about. So, six how years. about from when you went to a design agency to yeah, oh, it, into was, a publishing it, house? It was crazy different. It was. It, I really genuinely felt like I was back at school because it was such a big pivot Hmm. from what I was doing before and it was scary to be honest but in a good way Hmm. because did you feel that at the time then yeah yeah Hmm. I like that I I like that kind of feeling of feeling like you're out your comfort zone particularly in the context of work um, because well, they say... I do think it pushes you through um, yeah. into into what you're comfortable with, and I, I I've always 
felt like a kind of battling against feeling comfortable or designing in autopilot. And for me, that transition going from working in design agencies and working with brands, brands and websites, et cetera, to doing this thing, which I'd already always appreciated and loved from, from the outside. And all of a sudden I was doing it and I had to learn all these different ways of working. Um, yeah, it was scary, exciting, but I'm just so glad I did it. And mm. you, you know, when you've been doing something for a long time, you, you almost miss those feelings that, that scary feeling. And you have to try to create them well, now, artificially in a way. Well, <laughs> now you're getting onto why we, I've done loads of different things. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. That's, but uh, you know, there's that, um, imposter syndrome is the precursor to excellence. Yeah. As in that it's like, um, yeah, everything you want is on the other side of that, isn't it? Everything you want, it, I think it was everything you want is on the other side of fear, but that's quite brutal. But it, everything you want is on the other side. Sometimes, like, what's what's the object? Uh, the object is the way. And like you were saying, yeah, that that's what you need to take into your work as well. But, like, into your decisions in life, I feel. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, I don't know. I've sort of always had this thing about, like, just if I was coasting, then, oh, that's no, wrong. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I just, yeah, I mean, I could dive deeper on that, I guess, and, and have a think about why I felt like that or what from my childhood gave me that. But I see it as a positive thing for me because I also think, yeah. I always, I tap into now, we are literally just here once. And yeah, I do feel, even in the book cover design world, I think it's a good conversation to have to not, you know, you don't have to be, I even, I even got caught up into it, like junior, senior, or junior designer, senior, you know, the new middleweight yeah. or the managing and then like art director. Even I got caught up into that and I thought I had to be an art director. Yeah. But like, why did I have to be an art director? Was that something in me that I thought I had to show people that I could be an art director? Or did I want to be an art director for the right reasons? Yeah. Which is you it, think is are it the just, right reasons to you? Is it just ego or is it? Yeah, and I think when you're twenty thirties, yeah, I had an ego. Definitely, that was something I was I was struggling with. But it also pushed me on to other things. But it was also looking back unhealthy at times. But I think what I was trying to say before is that yeah, that you know, if you're a book designer, you don't have to just be a book designer for the rest of your life. No, no. <laughs> or if you have one like job, you don't have to, and also you don't have to follow. So you can just do, you can literally do whatever you want, and that's something I've tried to, you know, I'm doing... This is something you've done really well, you know, since, well, particularly since you've been freelance, you, you know, you and your wife, Naomi, have been working together, writing and illustration, illustrating your own children's books, which have, you know, been really successful and continue mm. to be successful. But mm. then I know you've got other stuff which is radically different, like your your wild soul. Yeah. And new endeavour. And it, again, it, it's, is that, is that because you're consciously trying to do something different from what is your day job, essentially, just to kind of keep yourself fresh and challenged? Or is it just you just have this, I don't know, urge to try these different things? I think it's the old balance between the two or even more factors. It's like what we chatted about before, how sometimes you feel like when you look back, oh, yeah, I've sort of... I keep coming back to that universe working for you. Like, hmm. ah, info design and illustration at the time, I was like, oh, but actually, yeah, that helped with book cover design. 
but the kids stuff, you know, working in kids early on and artworking, one of the first things I was doing was artworking up like kids books or helping out with early readers and just sort of seeing the pace of those and then meeting my wife in publishing who is in children's rights, but was always a writer and always wanted to be a children's book writer. Um, and how we came together on that front. And then, yeah, for us, one of the most conscious decisions I've made in my career was to go freelance yeah. because I wanted to explore other things. Yeah. Give but you I knew give more freedom. Yeah. But it's not, you know, I, I, I sometimes get wary of those books that say, just make the jump. Cause if you don't make the jump, you're going to, that's it. You're never going to do it. But it's so hard to like, just do that jump, especially financially, you know, and when you've got young a, children and yeah, like a very young family at the time. Um, you can't, you know, I, I, I you know, saved up and, and made sure I had a few months. I think it's important to chat about money as well. You know, I saved yeah. up and, and had a three, four month backup plan. So if anything went crazy wrong, I, we would have that to go off. I think that stuff's really important to chat about because I don't think it is chat about enough. And yeah, uh, because I couldn't, we, I couldn't make the leap. I literally couldn't do it. No. Um, and yeah, it may have forced me to do it quicker, but imagine the stress of trying to just do that without supporting a family. And then yeah. it could have all come. come it, might down, but that, it might be something that's putting people off making a similar transition because of that, because of that worry. Yeah. And that delayed it slightly, but it meant that I did have more, time to think about and it is it is important when you have more of a clarity in life which i think is hard in your 20s some people might have it earlier on but i didn't it needed to me to be in my 30s to actually think about like right why do i actually want to do this why do i want to go freelance and it's because i wanted to carry on my love of book design but explore what other creative avenues we could and we had these ideas and we talk about it in our events now. And Naomi had this, Oh, I was, I was doing a book for someone else actually. And I can't remember why I was doing shapes. And I just drew these, um, a triangle circle and square. And I just said, how, um, um, how could these, I did them like little characters with little legs and little arms. And then I said, it's on a post-it. We, we show it and we take the post-it shot and it just says how friends trying to fit in together. And that was it. And then Naomi being the genius that she is, she went away and then a week later had written the story. Around um, and that became our first book. Obviously it changed in just things all the time, but that became our first book and that's how we started working together. But that wouldn't have happened. That was as I was working on a freelance job from my shirt that that wouldn't have happened if we wouldn't have, I wouldn't have taken the time to think about, right, why do I want to go freelance? Why? What's the why? And it's to have other projects. And then obviously because subconsciously while I was working on someone else, you do that, it forms into that. And then that allowed us, me, the time. I had to be quite um, regimented in like four days a week doing that and then one day a week doing our stuff. Yeah. And then that just sort of grew and grew and grew. And yeah, then, you know, that book now, Perfect Fit, is sold, well, combined, yeah, that one's sold in multiple languages. Combined, we're about 20 different languages now. Wow. um, Which is amazing and insane and we're getting tagged by people in china and i've got just been sent chinese editions of another book we've done and it's fascinating and that's something that is just growing and growing with us and it's perfectly aligned for where we are and it's amazing going back to the whole imposter syndrome challenge yourself thing you know you could have easily have not pushed through those feelings and you know because it would it's doing something drastically different to what you were doing before again so you know 
and it gets that's you. the biggest time in my life when I had it when I especially when it was first printed and then I remember having this thing of like oh my god what's all the what are all the what's everyone going to think about it um and that's how I used to think about them what are people going to think about it or what are people cover designers going to think about it and all this yeah. and you're like oh and it's like that imposter syndrome of like you're gonna like oh they're gonna find out that you know, like you just, I don't know that like, you know, or you're not as good as you think, you know, it's something you have to deal with within yourself. Yeah. You're going to find out that, oh, the way you do something isn't the way you should do something or you do it wrong. Or it's like, that's something everyone's got to deal with. Yeah. You know, style's a weird word. Cause I think even mine, like with the kids books is just evolving and changing and it's looking back and it is different. It's not style. It's like you, if you can, if you can some, just bring across you, I think it's just been working. Honestly, if you can bring across you, like you've got it in your covers, I can see your, you in your covers. You don't do the same covers all the time, but that's like, I can just see, ah, that's how like Steve's done it. And that's Steve in that. Yeah. It sounds a bit crazy, but I, I do really think that is more important. I think that's the style that sort of, is lazily is is a term that's sort of used, but I think that's better. We can have you in what you do. Yeah. Then you, you're set. Yeah. Well, it's such a personal job that you do get you do get so invested in the covers you do. Um, mm, mm. Emotionally, that was at the start. You know, that's something we don't chat about. But no. I used to pour my heart and soul like into these things, and you still do now. Um, yeah. It's, it's you know you've. This is what I was chatting about before, environments. It's also the environments precursor to mental health. And that's an interesting conversation. You do pour yourself into these. And yeah. being a creative, I think it gets better as you get older because you can, I can differentiate now between like this work time and then family time. But when you're younger, like ideas and stuff, if I hadn't, if you hadn't, <laughs> until you've got that one, you know, when you create your cover visuals, until you've got one cover visual nailed, you're like, <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. Now I can just go off and play with loads of other different cover ideas. Yeah. And then you'll probably create something even better. But until you've got that one that you know you can hand in, you'll be like, yeah, that's great. That's good. That's a good one for the briefs to show them. And then it sort of gives, then you've then. got free reign to sort of just actually go off. It's like, I still find it more. like, ah, right. Okay. Now I can really, really yeah. have fun with it. Yeah. yeah. No, I think it's, there is a, a pressure that you put on yourself <clears throat> when you're mm. coming up with these kind of ideas. And like you say, until you, until you know, you've, you know, potentially kind of cracked it or halfway to cracking it it allows you time to to relax a little bit as well mm, but i think I, um, and that's another challenge as well with being what i've kind of still struggle with with being freelance is is that ability just ability to switch off um mm. from your work you know and it's it's hard when you've got you know small family little little kids to to be concentrating on and mm. going from work mode to family mode and making that transition without your work still in your mind and, mm. and obviously you know we don't you know, as creators, we don't work in that black and white way where we, I'm at work now, I'm sitting down, I'm thinking about ideas, you yeah. know, because quite often ideas can come to me when I'm doing the washing up or if I'm having dinner with the kids, you know, it's, 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 it's a both a good, good and bad thing, you know, because. I think it's that having to have creativity on tap as well. <laughs> Mm. which is really important. You can get stuck into like, right, these are my working hours. That's something that Cornwall has really taught me is like, I had to stop the, um, the, this sort of 
working out. Another reason we moved to here was because I didn't, I was in the, the, the mindset of societal ways of like working, 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 like grinding myself down and then like having a week holiday, going on holiday, stopping and then my body going, <laughs> game over. And then I'd just be ill and then that was it. You know, it was classic sort of burnout. Yeah. Um, now I sort of, it's all a bit more flowy. Like you said, I, I will go for a dog walk or a surf or meet some friends or even midday I'll I head, you know, I could meet out. I, I sort of work a bit more organically in that sense, still having the deadlines, but within that, keeping it a bit free flowing and trying to live each day as I'd want to, rather than just aim for the weekend or aim for a holiday. Yeah. Bringing that into it, I really think helps your work. Cause I think also, I do it with um, yourself sometimes or some other designers. I find what's quite healthy to do sometimes, even towards the end of the day, is just like have a chat with someone who's going through a similar thing because then you can just chat about maybe slightly how absurd, absurd some things are or even an idea. You're like, oh, you know, what do you think of this? Um, and I think as a freelancer, yeah, really especially, that yeah, I used to really enjoy that. We, yeah. I think when you you were still art director at One World, but then that transition to you going freelance, I think you used to, because we used to speak quite a lot on the phone when you were art directing, but then when you left there, you did used to give me a call quite frequently and we just chat about work and how things were mm. going. And at the time mm. I was, you know, I had my own workspace. I didn't have a shared workspace like I do now. Mm. And you, you forget how important that is because it can be so isolating sometimes if you're just working by yourself. That came from when I moved to Vintage and one of the best things that Vintage did was that when you were given a brief, you went and talked to the editor mm. about that brief. Like you actually went to them and talked to them. And, and what I used to do is go, right, why did you buy this book? What excites you about this book? Tell me about it. And you'd have that conversation face to face because however much they put into that brief, they've still got to hit the you know, editors or anyone, they've still got to just make a brief. So they will just like blah blah. And like it's like emails, you know. If someone gets annoyed by an email, you're reading into that email, you know, you're putting your thoughts and and feelings and everything into that email. But if you have a conversation with someone, they could say it'd be exactly the same thing, but they've said it in a different tone, different manner. So I I as much as I can, even when I, especially when I was art directing and I would brief out to say like to you or other designers, I would try and have a call with them as well. Um, yeah. Because then you could chat through it like this and then you'd have everything sort of talked about, but also something else might come from it that wasn't on the brief that can be quite generic sometimes. Yeah. And I think it's really, it's just, you know, it's important just to, to chat because you just, and leave yourself open to, something that might take you in a different direction really and i think this is where emails kind of does make us all a bit lazy sometimes and it's 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 too easy just to to fire off an email isn't it where well, it's the it, classic like you know conversation can do so much more sometimes hope you're well you know everyone says hope you're well but what yeah. you know it's just it's nice and and polite but it's, it's that yeah if you can chat to the person who's involved um it just makes a bit of a connection you know i think i think if you have a connection it's going to help all of yeah. you in the it helped process. me really you know so much when i first went freelance you you helped me a lot because you know it's like we said before it's scary making that leap from employment to freelance and um yeah you were really encouraging when i first went freelance and um 
it was good to meet up and chat and, and, and just talk about work generally. And that kind of led on to, to working on together on quite a lot of covers. Well, that came from the, the why I was talking about before. That was a point where I was like, well, why do I actually want to be an art director? Um, and then I realized it was because although where I was an art director, it was, I mean, it was super hard work, but I chose being an art director there at one world at the time because it was only just me at the start. Yeah. Um, but I liked that because the why I wanted out of it was because I still wanted to design. I knew I didn't want to just be an art director Yeah. for me who would just art direct and that'd be it. Um, for me, I needed to design because it, I needed it to keep me fresh, but I also just love designing. I absolutely yeah. love it. I love designing, love creating. Um, I love bringing something into existence that wasn't there before um, in in my unique way. And then I, my why was ah, I like dealing with other people who can do that and I can help these people, yeah. um, you know, with yourself and, and other designers and illustrators. And then when I managed to get a couple of designers on board through just sort of work experience first and then you know one of the work experience was kishan who then uh, at the time we couldn't offer him a junior designer job so then he went on to we had him in for designing for quite a bit because i kept him on because i could just see something him and then and then this is uh, kishan rajani yeah kishan rajani yeah hey kishan and seeing him and Haley, who i also worked with and art directed and helped and mentored in a way that's still like one of the best things that i've done in my yeah. career by a mile just well, just you know, seeing Kish- him Kishan's flourish and Haley as well and yeah Hayley's, yeah and just just Hayley's seeing now, that. Is she now uh, i think Haley's still at one world yeah, yeah she's still there yeah she's still there i think she might be deputy art director now yeah. but just seeing those two flourish and just have that initial love for it all which i still have but you know when it's all exciting and just to see the progression and then kishan actually went on to work for uh, lucy then at orion where i started that was a nice little moment uh, he went there and now they're just doing brilliant things in their own right and just yeah. to be able to play a small part in hopefully their into that yeah flourishing career is, is pretty special yeah um i just wanted to go back on something you said earlier about that feeling of what other people think. And I know mm. it was in the context of your, your children's books, but um, yeah. I saw an interview you did with uh, creative lives in progress mm. where you were, where you were chatting about that and the kind of concept of fear. Mm. And you said that in the past you were too worried about how something would look or what people thought, but yeah. now you just kind of park it and just, get on with it and mm. as long as you're having ideas and you're passionate about your work you know you're in the end you'll just you'll be fine mm. um just wondered if you could just chat about that a bit because i think that is something we all probably struggle with um particularly living in you know social media age where you're seeing all the time what other people are doing yeah it's a classic comparison and you know I've done a lot of work recently looking into why I think about things and where that's come about. And for me, that's come about from even wanting to be friends with people when I was younger who 
weren't my friends, but I wanted to be friends because I saw them as being like the the crowd to be friends with. And I've yeah. always had that. And then I was never really friends with them. And that's like just something I was working through as a kid. And that, and then and in a sense that came to, it was still there in like design terms for me. I thought I had to produce a certain way of work to get work shown or featured or yeah. and awards and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, that was just something I dealt with until you realize that like that's not what you know this is completely the wrong way to think about everything but i thought like that i'm not yeah. um well, i think i th- I, yeah. I i i'd be surprised if you know other people hadn't gone through that with feeling as well i know i, I know i have 100 mm. percent. and i think these are the things now especially which is great that people can chat about yeah that's how that's how they thought about things at the time and you can change how you think um and you need to go through things and, and realize that. Why did I think like that? And that comes with age and development and lifestyle and, and choices. And yeah, so that's, yeah, that, uh, yeah, that was that. that. And that was that fear of like, oh, is this, yeah. Or I think you had to, I had to park a lot of that. And then you just realize you've just got to play and just do, you just got to do it for you, really, haven't you? Um, yeah in the sense of like what would I every brief you're given anyway I was chatting to an editor at Grant about this the other day you know you're giving out a brief but really when they give you that brief is what I was looking for is that here's the like I said on that brief here's the initial ideas I've had you know hopefully you'll go with those but you'll run with those and you'll come back at me with like something I've never thought of which is just like ideal for it yeah um and that only comes through parking that fear and allowing yourself to go through there's that sticky process and it's like how you can get to that sticky process as quickly as you can and how do you get beyond that and for me at those times a sticky process was like yeah i was worrying too much about what other people maybe were thinking even your art director and all that you know yeah but really you should just get on with it and just keep going and then just and then you know chat to ideally show people or ideally the ideal situation which i try to do more now with my illustration work is to get that done and then park it for a bit and then come back to it because there's so much to be said for like even giving yourself a day off and coming back to it with fresh eyes and then being like oh right okay this is exactly what i need to do or i need to do this again but yeah Mm -hmm. that that initial fear thing was yeah i was it was just trying to realize not to do stuff or worry about external opinions too much and just crack on really yeah i think that's really important Mm. just to go off tangent a little bit um we've kind of spoken quite a bit about things which we think could be better about the industry of publishing but then book cover design as well specifically but what what problem or issue do you think we should be talking more about as an industry uh i think we chatted about this before really the for me the environments we work in and how that relates to mental health, because without that, you've literally got nothing. Uh, yeah. Mental health as in health, as again, like this started me on this whole health journey and way of living, because if you don't have that, then you can't do your job and you can't work efficiently. Um, and like, you know, you don't want people to have burnout. You want them to avoid, but you don't want people to have burnout and then to figure out how to deal with it. You just don't want them to have burnout. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and I do believe that the way we work, the way we work and where we work has a huge impact on that. And I think that should be talked about more, especially within environments in-house um, where they're just cramming them in. It can be even closer and closer and it's just not in any natural way at all i mean i try now luckily that i'm here if it's a decent day probably not as much today but even if i'm um if you can now i'm lucky enough to have an ipad pro or something like that but even i could do research now outside um using that looking at it and giving myself that break i think it's just like not not working at 100 miles an hour and i guess like you know the wider conversation would be the amount of work we all have yeah really because if we had, and again, I guess that comes down to like even like pay, doesn't it? You know, yeah. the, the fact that when we started out on this freelance design journey, fees are still pretty much the same, which is same a huge as... conversation to have and probably won't be heard by people <laughs> listening to this podcast. Well, you never know. But it is because, you know, things have only got more expensive, but a lot of the fees, if any, a lot of them have been trying to reduce them. Um, and I think people don't know that when they, f- they first get into the industry and then will accept. Um, and particularly going, being freelance, there's that fear of you just have to, have to take on anything that comes your way and anything you can get because yeah. there's not much well, breathing room. Well, the freelance room. fear is, is, is a real, <laughs> it's real and it's an ongoing, and that is literally something you have to learn and deal with as you will. And that is something good to chat about, which is... I think I said it to you, like, uh, the first time I remember chatting to you about it, the first time I initially, after working at One World and then going full-time freelance, I had a couple jobs and then I didn't have any jobs. And I was like, <laughs> shit, oh my God, I didn't have any jobs. And then I sent my work, the first time I'd ever done it was sent out my uh, website to a few people and then they luckily all gave me jobs and then I had too much jobs and then it was just like and you then it's like, like as a freelance, uh, it's this constant battle but um, yeah. balancing act between having not enough and too much yeah and then you know that's 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 it isn't it and the freelance fear is that it just all goes or yeah you sort of you go but then you know I was chatting to illustration students about this that's part of the this design um, game in, in in the industry is really, it's not that people don't give you jobs. The, you know, there's just so many, if you want to be freelance, you need to find a way yourself of getting your work out there because you need to stay in people's consciousness. Um, and you have a social media tool that can do that for you. Um, but it's how you manage that without doom scrolling on that social media tool and crazy and that's another thing of like you know you're chatting about imposter syndrome or like trying to please people or how you curate your work online is is a big thing that that could be chatted about and and how you can i'm still trying to figure that out now we've got a better balance for that for the kids illustration world i do because we've sort of we're creating a brand really and that's become work but i still haven't really I think I had it figured out better when I was younger for book cover design, but it's how to stay in the consciousness. And I always think, you know, you should be proud of the work you do as well, like websites and even on socials, be so proud of what you've created and don't worry about shouting about that in case you get the one negative comment. Um, You know, and we all follow each other on social media and, you know, you get some people who share a lot and then you get some people who, share hardly at all and neither's right or wrong it's just whatever works for you i guess mm. um 
um, finding that balance again. Mm. Yeah, well, there's that, um, yeah, I think it's that which you admire. Yeah, that which you admire in another person is something that is wishing to be expressed through you. Mm. That's it. And I, I used to, sometimes, you know, back in the day, again, it's not something I'd, shameful to say, but I'd see something and I'd just be like, oh, you know, it'd make me feel bad if it was that good. And that is the comparison sense. Whereas really I should have been thinking of it in, in that quotes term of like, yes, you know, why? It's not jealousy in a sense, but you're like, yeah, that you should use that to fuel you and to celebrate you, their yeah. work as well. You know, that's what I do differently now to what I was in the 20s as well. Now, like your work or other people's work that I admire, you know, oh, I just celebrate what they're doing. I'm being inspired by it. Um, well, it's really that. important. And that's how I view social media now. You have to form, it's something, I, you know, I will have to chat about to the kids. And maybe that is something that needs to be brought up in design more, but it's how you use social media in a healthy way. And yeah. to promote yourself, because you have to promote yourself. You really do have to promote yourself, especially as a freelancer. And especially as now, as a um, children's book illustrator and we have to promote our books yeah. um, because at the end of the day, you know, you need to make money to live and fund your life and fund your hobbies and all this. And you've got to be at one with that, but you can do it in a way, again, like I said, that, that celebrates other people too. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me as part of this brilliant podcast thank you for helping and being a part of it a huge thanks to james for taking the time to speak with me i thought it was a really insightful and honest look at his approach to work but also how he's developed personally throughout his career to see james's work head to his website at jamesjonesbookdesign.com or follow him on Twitter and Instagram at James Paul Jones. To follow James and his wife Naomi's picture book work, be sure to follow Naomi and James Jones on Instagram, where there's regular updates of their work together. For something a bit different, we spoke in passing about James's latest project, Wild Soul Sandals, a newly formed barefoot adventure sandal company. If you'd like to find out more, visit wildsoulsandals.com where you can also get 10% off any purchases using the discount code COVERMEETING. Links and details are in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow Cover Meeting wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you can take the time, please leave a rating or review as it really helps. Follow Cover Meeting on Twitter, Instagram, and now Threads at Cover Meeting Pod for news about upcoming episodes. Cover Meeting was hosted by Steve Leard and produced by James Ead of beheard.org.uk. Thanks again for listening and I hope you join again soon for another episode. Hold up. 